Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Dual Axis Podcast. I have an incredible guest for you today. Heather Udo is the founder and CEO of Shoppable. She's a game changer in the e-commerce landscape, and in fact, she has three patents to her name for the technology that drives Shoppable. But I don't want to give anything more away, so let's start this conversation with Heather. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Andy. Yeah. Can you give listeners a brief overview of, of Shoppable, what it's all about, and what inspired you to start it? Yeah, absolutely. So Shoppable, you can think about us like e-commerce infrastructure. Essentially, we created a large product catalog. We have 450 million SKUs from pretty much every brand oh or you can you can imagine from a Walmart to Best Buy, Bloomingdale, Saks Fifth Avenue, um, Sephora, Ulta, etc. We we have cataloged all of their inventory and then we've connected in with their checkout which allows us to, what we like to say, is bring the cart to the consumer. And essentially, it means that we can make anything, digitally speaking, shoppable. Um, and that's, you know, anything from ads to videos to um, TV to content, you name it. Even if it wasn't shoppable before, our technology can make it shoppable. And ultimately, you know, to the second part of your question, why did I start it? As consumers, we all have um, a problem that we mm -hmm. have pretty much 99% of us based on our research have, have experienced, which is we've discovered great products um, on social media, on a publisher site, from a creator, on TV, in content. We just have discovered great products and you cannot purchase them. And, you know, there's so many instances where... Um, I would have bought something had it been shoppable, had you been able to do so easily and didn't because there was too much friction that exists. And that's what we found in the marketplace is that there were just a lot of like literally billions of dollars of lost revenue because of the friction that exists from seeing something really cool and actually being able to purchase it. So that's really where the idea originally came from. And out of my own personal frustration as a shopper, trying to buy things that were not shoppable. Yeah, that, that is super interesting. So it's kind of like it's, it's running on a lot of websites and you have no idea that it is basically, right? Well, at this point, yes. Now we start, we have all these different partners that are extending it out to yeah. their networks to, um, we just started uh, powering different TV commercials through our partners, but yeah, it's um, taking on a life of its own, which is really, yeah. really exciting. And I've got to get, I have to ask you about the three patents that you have. What are those for? I guess you're allowed to say, right? Because they're patents, they're public, I assume, right? So yeah. Um, yeah, what are they? Yeah. So we have, we actually have four now, which you wouldn't know because we haven't officially announced the fourth one, but it is pub publicly available. Um, so the first three are all on universal checkout technology which means you know, that with Shoppable's technology, not only do we embed the checkout and these buy buttons on other people's experiences, but you can the shoppers can purchase from one or multiple retailers while they're um, in a single, um, within a single purchase experience. So meaning if I'm trying to get the look, I can add products that are available through Best Buy, products that are available through um, Walmart, add both to my cart, and then complete 
one purchase. Now that capability, the ability to buy from multiple retailers at one time and then license that out to other companies, that is what our, those three patents cover. Um, so we're the only company in the US that can distribute this type of checkout to other companies. And then, um, which is super exciting. And, you know, we were able to get crazy. that. Um, that absolutely yeah. crazy. I know a lot of people are like, no way you have a patent on this. <laughs> I know. I mean, it, it was, um, you know, the benefit, I would say, of being of really not just being early to the space, but creating a new space. Hmm. So those are the first three. And then the fourth one just issued about two weeks ago. And right. um, I can't go into too much detail about the, the um, what we're going to be doing with it. But at a high level, I can disclose that it is what we, we refer to as a traveling cart and a traveling checkout. So okay. that's some new um, new technology that will be more publicly um, yeah. announced soon. So what made you think, you know what, I should patent this? Uh, one of our early investors is a lawyer. Okay. <laughs> and essentially <laughs> was like, this is one of those ideas. Project yourself, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and, you know, he said, very, very early on, this is one of those ideas that as soon as people hear about it, they're like, why didn't I think about that? Right. No, I, I should have thought about this. This seems so obvious. And he said, because of that, he's like, you better patent this because once people hear about it, they're going to jump on the bandwagon and try to sure. create it too and, and take the idea. Um, so for that reason, you know, and, and to me at the time, I remember having a conversation thinking like, oh my gosh, it's so early they're like, no one even knows about this, you know, and it's like, we're still just having conversations with the retailers, convincing them that this is a thing and that this can help them. And, um, but he was persistent that we needed to file it early. So we, we yeah. decided to, to do so. Plus it's pretty cool to say that you have a patent as well. Oh, for sure. For <laughs> sure. I think as you know, an entrepreneur to also have the title of like inventor, and, you yeah, know, yeah, and yeah. I think there's something just really, cool and a little nerdy about it that I, I yeah. love. I assume that kind of helps you in the sales process though, as well, right? If you, if you go into a retailer and say, Hey, we've gotten this patented technology that could do X, Y, Z, then um, surely that helps get you in the door. It, yeah, it does on really on kind of both sides of our marketplace, because for the companies that license the technology, you know, of course they always ask who are your competitors, who else is doing this? And I know a lot of companies always say, I have no competitors, you know, no one else can do it. But when we say no one else can do it, we really mean it. And we can back that up with the patents. And then, um, yeah, on the other side for the merchants, merchants, you know, in order to work with Shoppable, one of the things that we do for them is they, you know, we integrate their product catalog and we integrate their checkout into the technology and we help them create all these other shoppable experiences, but it's a single integration into us. And then we can unlock each one of those new platforms for them that they need. And what's um, what's kind of cool about the patent in, in regards to the, for the retailers is, you know, in our conversations with them, many of them said, uh, this is really interesting. We feel like this is going to be an important thing for us to do. But we need, we don't want to do this with like 20 different companies. We want one. <laughs> so who's the one company that's going to win at this space? And then we'll partner with them. 
And, you know, and once we, you know, at the beginning, they were like, well, we don't know for sure if you guys are going to be the one company. But as soon as that patent was officially granted, it was like, no, 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 we are that one company. Yeah. And now, <laughs> you, know, now you have one. that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the other side of it, too. So if I run an e-commerce website and I want to start using Shoppable, is it just plug and play? How does that work? Mm -hmm. It depends what you want to do. So if you have your own website, you can use Shoppable for a couple different, um, couple different things. Mm -hmm. One is to essentially is a marketing channel. So the simplest way for a direct-to-consumer brand or retailer to work with Shoppable is to connect in their inventory into Shoppable's catalog. So that catalog that I mentioned, um, yep. and then we can make their products shoppable. So meaning that we become a distribution partner for them. So you think about all of our other partners making content shoppable, those brands should want to have their products in our catalog because we can't make their stuff shoppable if it's not in our catalog. So that's the simplest way for them to work with us. We don't even charge for it. We probably should, but we don't. It's free to integrate that way with us. And then the other way that a brand, um, a D2C brand can use our technology is um, with their media campaigns. So there's kind of two within the media campaign, there's kind of two use cases. One is when they're working with channel partners. So uh, it used to be if you were D2C, you didn't also sell retail. But over the last few years, we started to see a lot of the D2C brands that then started going to retail, selling and retail. Now they want to make sure their sell through is, uh, you know, is, is, is looking good for their retail partners. And, you know, so they can use Shoppable to curate their products through whatever their retail channels are. So that their electronics could be Best Buy, if it's beauty, it might be Alton, you know, or Target. And then when they drive their campaigns, they drive it to a Shoppable landing page with our technology. And then their, their shoppers can purchase within that one page, even though even then the products get fulfilled through, let's just say Target and Ulta in this use case. And that means that that brand can still control all of the data. They can still track all of the efficacies of their, their campaign, add to carts, um, purchases, consumer data, and they know how the total amount of revenue that their and total products sold that their marketing efforts have had on their channels. So without shoppable technology, that type of D2C brand would just be sending the traffic directly to a retailer site, but then it's a black box, you know, and they don't get that feedback. They also don't know which of their campaigns are working and which ones are not. So I would say that's one use case for them. And then the other use case is for, um, you know, potentially with co-marketing um, efforts with, with another brand or with a creator where they wanted to have a quick and easy way to launch a microsite without affecting their whole, you know, main D2C branded website. And both of these things you can set up in as little as 20 minutes. So it's very, very simple and turnkey. Yeah. Yeah. I used to work in price promotion optimization at Coca-Cola. So I love all the cross branding and yes. um, can you guess what the number one product is? Let's say we're, we're in a, a CVS or a Walgreens. What do you think the top cross-selling product is with Coca-Cola? Oh. You hmm. probably won't guess it, but. Um, gum? I don't know. Jack Daniels. No. <laughs> even if, even if it's an area where Pepsi sells more, 
when people yeah. buy Jack Daniels, they buy Coke. They don't do Pepsi and Jack. It's always uh, uh, it's Jack and Coke, not Jack and Pepsi, right? So, yeah, oh, anyway, for sure. Which I always found fascinating because it's, you know, these are uh, drugstores. They're supposed to be healthy and all that. And yet Coke and uh, Jack Daniels are- the Didn't even know they sold Jack. Okay. <laughs> Some of them do. Yeah, it depends on the state. Yeah. Yeah, uh, interesting. I, I just thought that was really, I remember finding that, uh, that insight and I was like, oh, that is interesting. Unfortunately, Coca-Cola doesn't cross sell with alcohol brands, but maybe they should. Yeah, uh, exactly. Maybe they yeah. should. <laughs> so, so if I'm an, uh, a new brand and I want to get it feels to me like I could leverage the the scale of shoppable and the um, uh, I guess the the weight of other brands mm -hmm. to kind of get my product associated with those. Is that kind of the idea for people that are up and you know up and going? Um, yeah, in some in some cases, like I'll give you give you an example. We have um, we have two direct to consumer companies using Shoppable's Instant Shop product right now, which is kind of our mini um, storefront. One is a handbag company and the other is, a, is an apparel company, you know, selling t-shirts and jeans and, and things like that. And they both have their own D2C shops built, but how they're using Shoppable is to create this co-branded instant shop where um, they had plans to, to do all this co-marketing, but we're trying to figure out, well, we don't really wanna be sending our traffic to two different locations. And, um, you know, so how do we have a solution where we're all sending our traffic to one place and people can buy a piece of the clothing and one of the handbags or wallets or something at the same time? So they're using this, using the instant shop solution for that. Both can be bought together within one, not just one domain, but within one checkout too. That's that's like I, I am like blown away by the stuff that you're doing. I just had I had no idea that it was this deep. But you also take away the burden of fulfillment. Is that right? Correct. So how does that all work? Yeah. So um, we we work. We essentially handle. We don't touch any of the products. We you know we say we have 450 million products, but um, you know, but no inventory. Um, so all of that is connected in through our partners. We're completely, you know, retailer agnostic, Right. but for companies like, for example, we shoppable powers, Revlon.com. Okay. Now Revlon's a brand everybody's heard of. You can go in, um, many drugstores and purchase it there, but they're not a direct consumer brand. They only sell in the retail channels. So, you know, they, they, they're using shoppable to, essentially make Revlon.com look like a direct-to-consumer experience. But when you're, you know, when you um, kind of browse around their site, you'll be adding to your cart. And then once you open up your cart, you'll see, you know, ships from Walmart or ships from. Oh, okay. Walmart. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So then the, you know, it's transparent to the, to the shopper, but the products are actually being fulfilled by those retail channels. So right. for Revlon, they have this very lightweight direct to consumer like experience, but without, you know, the headache of actually and expense of actually launching a direct to consumer experience and having to handle fulfillment of the order, yeah. um, you know, and, and also creating a channel conflict with their retail mm -hmm. partners. So this lets them really solve all of those channels or all of those challenges without having to have the expense of it. Oh, wow. That's, I mean, 
there's so much opportunity for any size brand to to take advantage of that. That's and I guess you're taking advantage of the companies that have the scale to do the shipping at a really low cost. Mm-hmm. Is is kind of what what you end up doing there? Yeah, exactly. And you know, and some, you know, there's a non-perishable food brand. I won't say who it is, but um, they were, you know, considering they were having internal debates. Do we launch direct to consumer? Or do we use Shoppable's D2C Lite solution? And what, you know, the the D2C site um, team was essentially saying, we want all the control, we want to be able to get the data, those types of things, which Shoppable also, also provides them with. But they wanted complete control, inven- you know, be able to manage the inventory directly, those things. And then, um, you know, the other side was like, look, we know how to ship like we know how to ship pallets of our products we know we have the processes and the relationships in place to distribute a full pallet full of their 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 product i don't want to even i don't want to provide details because it'll give away who it is um (laughs) but they can you know they can send these pallets to their retail channels we said we have no idea how to send a single box of this product and and to do so that makes financial sense for the business And, you know, but again, the retailers know how to do that. And they have set up, you know, these complicated um, uh, systems of where they're, you know, all the different warehouses that they have, where they're shipping from, how they're getting the products, um, you know, last mile um, connected in. And all of that's already been sorted out from their retail channels. So why overcomplicate it? By saying, well, we should go direct to consumer and then we'll just figure out all these other things that our retail partners have already figured out. Yeah. And yeah. Then it's not going to be cost effective for them to do so. Yeah. So anyway, so that's another, you know, another way that, that that they're using shoppable without having to hold inventory and actually fulfill. Okay. So I've got, I've got a question for you then. I'm going to take you through a, a my mom's business. So my mom and my sister run a business where they sell um, gourmet pretzel nuggets. Hmm. And um, so they have a fulfillment or not a fulfillment center. They have a, um, uh, what the heck's it called? The people that make the product for them. I, forget, I don't know why I can't think of the name right now. The co- co-packer. They have a co-packer that they use now, right? And then if somebody buys something through their website, they fulfill it themselves. So should they be taking advantage of something like Shoppable? Um. That's a good question. They could for um, they could for certain aspects. Like we don't, we wouldn't, com- we wouldn't compete with like the front end of. I don't know if they're using Shopify or Big Commerce or something like that. We wouldn't yeah. provide kind of those traditional e-commerce experience on their website. Right. Um, but they could use Shoppable to help with their distribution, and they could also use it to create. Um, kind of more native and in, in, um, integrated social um, social media campaigns as well. So I don't know if they're doing a lot within, you know, TikTok or Instagram, things like yeah, that. Things, yeah. But one of our, our instant shop solution makes it really easy for brands to embed both you, either YouTube video or TikTok videos throughout. And then that is just a really natural shopping experience when, uh, brands like that are um, working with creators and then you're trying to get the traffic from um, being in TikTok in the app and the, like the shop the user is really in scroll mode and then you're trying to take them out of that to purchase. So with Instant Shop, 
they would essentially have their TikTok ad where they have, they either created the branded content on their own, they worked with the creator, and then they would, the user would link from that to an instant shop where we embed that TikTok video again. So we're kind of keeping it top of mind in that yeah. more seamless transition to where they can then buy it purchase those products again. So I would say that's another use case that they could be, yeah. could be using it for. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to connect you with my sister for sure. Okay, uh, great. I would uh, love that. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you'll make some business out of this, out of this interview. Yeah. So, um, so as, as a founder of, you know, you're the founder and CEO of Shoppable, um, what have been some of the biggest challenges you've faced and what have you learned from them? Ooh. Oh boy. Um, there's been, there's so many challenges. I mean, um, you know, it's a roller coaster, as I'm sure you know. I would say early, um, you know, when I kind of think about the earlier days, um, some of it, I would say one was um, underestimating timing of the marketplace. You know, I think I, you know, without a doubt, I was confident that this is where the market was going, you know, and 12 years later, I'm still confident about the market, but um, I would say that at the time, I underestimated how fast companies would would move, especially these big companies, because you know, to entrepreneurs, we, you know, we look to solve problems, and we're so quick to be like, okay, here's here's the solution, I can do this, and then we remove all the points of friction, right? Because we want to get something launched, we want to get you know get things going. And it seemed, I, I, oh yeah, I underestimated how long it would take someone else to grasp the idea and actually move forward with it from a partnership standpoint. And I would say, so things move slower in the beginning than I would have estimated. So mm -hmm. I would say that would be, that would be one. Another one that I would say um, is around launch partners. So at the beginning, it was important to me to find a paying launch partner that would be, you know, would be willing to put their money where, where their mouth is and say, yes, I see value in, in this and I want to be your launch partner. And I would say we, for, for entrepreneurs listening, always have multiple launch partners. <laughs> that was one of the lessons that I learned because the first company that said we want to be the launch partner and they were really excited about what we're doing and they were you know this is a big company and they had like at one point i think i counted 26 people in a room with round you know large boardroom table so i was convinced they were going to be the launch partner they had all these resources and i thought there's no chance that they they weren't going to be so anyway i put all my eggs in their basket and you know sure enough things changed internally, people, you know, some people left and, and things like that, priorities changed and they couldn't be the launch partner. So I had lost probably nine months of time oh. working into details because we were also, um, you know, building some of some of the features, working really closely with them as, you know, as the early customer. So I would say that was, you know, to, to some respects, it was a mistake to not on, <clears throat> to not have multiple launch partners knowing that there's a chance always that something comes up and you just don't want to rely on just the one. So I would say that's another piece of advice for anyone listening. That's great. Yeah. Um, so what, what can we expect from Shoppable in the coming years? I know you've got your new patent coming out, which you can't tell us a whole lot about yet, but uh, anything exciting that uh, coming up, you can give us a sneak peek into? 
I can. Yeah. So we have really been primarily in the US, Canada and UK. But my team has been working really, really hard uh, for Shoppable to expand globally. So I'm very, very excited. We are launching um, first in Germany in about two weeks. Um, I can't announce who our partners are, but we will be officially in Germany. And what's that? Big market. (laughs) Yeah, huge, huge market. So we're excited to be in in Germany, open that up. And then my um, engineering team has built our technology in a way that will make that makes it easier for us to expand to any additional market. So we have a lot of other things in um, um, in the pipeline that we'll be doing to expand globally. So anyone listening that could use the technology, uh, it officially does not matter what country you're located in. And we've had so much demand in the past, and we've had to turn it away because our tech was just not ready for for that. Yeah. But but now yeah. it is. So when you started Shoppable, it was just you, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And how long has Shoppable been around and how many people do you have in your company now? We've been around 12 years and we are about 25 people. Oh, okay. So still quite small. Yeah. Oh, the team's relatively small. We are. I'm expecting a much higher number than that. I know. I'm I'm sure most people are. Most people are completely shocked when they see what we're doing with, with a lean team. But, you know, then again, like I think Instagram, when they were bought by Facebook, I think their team was eight people. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, when, Facebook when that happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it just kind of depends on what, on what you're doing. I mean, um, you know, when we have, unlike other companies, we haven't gone the route of raising, you know, VC round after VC round after VC round. And, um, so we've, you know, we've, we've kind of grown and operated on, on our own and, um, yeah, and it's been, you know, it's been great and it's good to be able to do that and be a freestanding business that isn't always thinking about that next venture round and having to please investors and we can focus on what do our customers want and what does the market want. I guess you've got complete control over the company then. Uh, correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so stay away from VC if you can. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, for those that are interested in uh, working with you, working with Shoppable, what's the best way for them to learn more? Yeah, I would say on LinkedIn, we have a Shoppable page there. You can find me at Heather Udo. And then also on Instagram, we're pretty active. Shoppable's handle is at Shoppable and mine is at Heather Marie Udo. Great. And I will put a link to all of those in the description for this video. Heather, thank you very much for taking the time. Um, I've learned a lot about Shoppable. I had no idea how massive it was. And I feel really honored to um, uh, to speak with you and, and to speak with somebody with four patents. I mean, that's really cool. So <laughs> thank you so much for having me. All right.